We're in a series I'm calling Christianity 101 that we began last week. Last week, we saw something amazing. You know, if you took this class in college, Christianity 101, it was probably like a a dry history class. And that was never what Christianity was intended to be. It's active. It's life change. It's this whole metamorphosis, this whole change that, that changes everything from the inside out. In fact, we saw last week that when you step into this journey with Christ full out, with all that you are, you become, and we looked at the little Greek words, a kainos katesis, a new creation. And what's so interesting about that word, the word new is not like bright, shiny new. It means unheard of, never seen before in the history of the universe, a new creation that, that God had in mind from forever past. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, even though we're still clothed in the same body, the same kind of earth suit that we had before, we become a new creation on the inside that no one has ever even imagined except God before. And it's real important that we know that because that leads us into today. I want to talk about one of the great tests that you take to know if you're really a believer or not. The, the, the early church fathers used to call this the perseverance of the believer. That is that once you step into a relationship with Christ, if it's real and genuine, you can never get away from it. Once saved, you're going to be saved forever. And the Bible is real clear in teaching that, that, that can never, we can never lose it if we step into a genuine faith. But you've probably known people that claim to be walking with God and really seem to be, and, and, and yet something came into their life that was hurtful, a trial, and they just, now they want nothing to do with God or the church or Christianity. We're going to talk about that. I want you to pull out your sermon notes. I want to look at that and let's see what the Bible has to say about all of this. How do you know if you're really a believer or not? Is it because you can see the blessings of God on your life? How about, is it because God has given you the American dream, you know, safety and and comfort and and a little bit of happiness? Or is it that when you think about God, you feel emotional? I've got kind of this emotional feeling. Maybe is it that you prayed a prayer that a pastor asked you to pray or an evangelist or someone on TV or, or you signed a card or you joined a church James in the Bible says no none of that none of that shows you that you're a believer in fact James has something really interesting to say he says there's a big test to know if you're a believer or not do you know what the test of a true believer is it's not what you think the test of a true believer James says is tough times write that down tough times I mean it's been a common occurrence in in my life as a pastor down through the years to meet people who thought they were Christians who felt like they were believers and 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 then some severe difficulty or uh, just a complex difficult crisis came into their life and they fell away from God trials are intended to show us something The whole book of James is is a series of tests for living faith. 
versus kind of a pseudo faith that it's so easy to have and to think that we're we've got it and we understand it so let's just look at the book of James for a minute and then I want to look at something that Jesus said and we're going to figure this out this morning verse 2 of chapter 1 of James says this consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let's just stop there for just a second because this is this is a real key to this whole passage because it doesn't make any sense to me consider it pure joy when you experience a really tough time and you're like James that's just weird man I, I, I don't get that that doesn't make any sense at all but did you see that he said that the testing times that it produces something you see when you step into this relationship with Christ and you become that whole new creation that kainos katesis in the Greek words then you're something I mean you've become something new brand new and he says when a trial comes into the life of a new creation that it activates something do you know what it activates it activates perseverance that's what he says here it activates perseverance and so you can know if you're a true believer or not when the trial hits because if you are that new creation see if you've never experienced that if you've just been kind of around the edges of it or, or maybe you made an intellectual decision or, or, or thought I want to change a philosophy or until you step in and say Jesus Christ everything I am I give to you nothing held back I receive what you did for me on the cross I don't understand it that's when the new creation thing happens and if you are a new creation when the trial hits it will activate perseverance it's inevitable that's what happens that's what trials do and so you can consider it a joy that something's going on let's look at that just a little bit he goes on to say let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything I want you to write this down because this is a big misunderstanding in the world today but this is what James and we'll see Jesus too talks about when he talks about trials trials cannot destroy faith they can only put faith to the test and I think you need to write that down trials cannot destroy faith they only put faith to the test you say but but I've known people that that, that they you know they, they were really active in church and really seemed excited about God and then this trial came and they just like said forget it I want nothing to do with you God I'm mad at you I'm angry with you I don't want to be a part of this what James is saying is that they never had faith real faith it wasn't real for them I mean let me just ask you a question is it possible for a person to hear about this journey with Christ open ears eager heart receive it personally without any resistance respond with with joy and enthusiasm and believe it to be true at least intellectually for sure but it just I feel like I believe it maybe in my emotions too someone who willingly heard the gospel received it with joy emotionally believed it to be true and still not be a true Christian 
Well, let's ask Jesus. Let's look at it. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 8 and verse 13 some interesting thing. He's in the middle of one of his little stories called parables. And what a parable is, it's hard to understand the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus tries to help us understand it by using kind of an earthly idea that explains something in heaven. In the spiritual realm, when I say heaven. Something out there in the spiritual realm. And so he's just told this story. And he tells a story, it's called the parable of the sower. And he says, a sower went out to sow some seed. And some of the seed fell on concrete. And the birds ate it real quick. And some of the seed fell on this rocky ground that had just a tiny little layer of dirt on top of this big bedrock. And it sprung up. And then the sun came out. And it withered and died. And some of the seed fell on some ground that had thorns. And it grew up and... And then the thorns choked it all out. And some of the seed fell on good ground. And it came to maturity. And produced an amazing harvest. And the disciples, I appreciate them because we get so much more explanation because of them. Because they would always come to Jesus and say, uh, we don't get it. Good story, Jesus. Uh, I don't know what it means, you know. And, and he would explain to them. Well... Here's what he said about the seed that falls on the rocky ground in verse 13 of Luke 8. He said, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, it's interesting. He says... The time of testing. And that's such an interesting phrase when you look at it in the original language. It's hard to translate into English sometimes from the Greek. But that time of testing, there's two words for time in the Greek. One is called chronos. It's chronological time, like clock time. Like it's 2 o'clock or whatever. It's not 2 o'clock yet, don't get worried, all right? The other is kairos, and that's like a moment in time, a destiny, a, a destined moment, a choice point. And that's the word that's used here. There comes this moment in time, this kairos in time, this destiny moment. And it's interesting when he says testing, it's the same word that James uses for the trials, count it all joy. And it's the word pirosmos. And you know what it literally means? It means the proving. I kind of wish they would have translated it that way in our English Bible. The time of the proving. The destined moment of the proving. That's what it's saying. It's going to prove whether your faith is real or not. And it says in this case... In the rocky ground, they heard the word, they were emotional about it, they got really active in church and stuff and got going and thought, well, this is great. And then the destined moment of the proving, the time of trial came and difficulty, trouble, and they fell away. Aphistami. Aphistami is that word, fell away. And what it literally means, it means to stand apart. It doesn't mean that they were with God and then they fell away from God, really. What it means is the time of the proving showed a fistame, that they stood apart, that they never were apart, that they stood apart. 
That's what trials do. Trials cannot destroy our faith. They only prove if our faith is real or not. Real faith cannot be destroyed by a trial. The time of testing reveals it. Here's how John talked about it in 1 John 2.19. He says this, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all are not of us. So in this time of testing, these people have found that they stand apart from God. They really don't know God at all. There never was anything there. There was just this emotional thing that happened in their life. Trials cannot destroy faith. I don't know how many times I, I can say that. I want us to really get that. Faith that is true faith stands the trial because you see you're the new creation and that trial actually does something. It activates something in you. It activates that perseverance in you. Trials have a lot of purposes, the Bible says. The Bible says trials come to humble us. The Bible says trials come to reveal what we are really in love with. Trials come to enable us to help others in their trials. I can't tell you how many people that Laura's been able to help in the midst of cancer since she went through cancer and came out the other side of that. And that's one of the things that God does for us. James is concerned about one of the reasons why God allows trials, and that is to test the genuineness of our faith. You see, it's really a gift from God. Because some of us are going to find when we stop and see that we fail the test. True faith always endures. It always holds on and moves through and perseveres. Well, how do, how do we really do that? It says in those verses we read, knowing that the trial or testing of your faith produces perseverance you have to know something you see it's going to activate something in you this trial is it, it, only good things come from God the Bible talks about every good and perfect gift comes from God but when a trial comes into your life if you're a son or daughter of God if you stepped into this relationship with him it has to come through his fingers of love because he, he's got you in the palms of his hands he's got you and nothing can get to you unless he allows it to come through those fingers of love. And when that happens, there's a purpose. Because he wouldn't do it for no reason. He always has a reason. He always has a purpose. And part of that purpose, so you can count it joy in the midst of it, is that it's going to activate something in you. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature. That word mature is the word teleos, and it means wanting nothing necessary for completeness. And then he goes on and says, and complete, just to make sure we got it. I want you to grow up. You see, this life is not what most people think it is. You hear the, the, the old beer commercials years and years ago, you only got one life, go for the gusto, and stuff like that. What the Bible says is, this life is boot camp. This is the training ground I am making you more first you come into relationship with me and I make you that new creation that I've been waiting to design from the foundation of the world and it all has to do with what Jesus did on the cross for us and then as you have these trials come into your life it activates something in you and it grows you up 
Boot camp is tough. Boot camp is hard. Boot camp is difficult. But it grows you up to become more. And you become complete and mature, wanting nothing. So what we have to do in our trials is know that God feels that with us. He knows it with us. And, and we've got to let God do what God wants to do and not fight it. Understand God's purpose. You say, well, I don't understand God's purpose at all. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. That's why James puts this next part. God provides wisdom to make it through tough times. God provides wisdom to make it through tough times. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. What the Bible says about wisdom. Wisdom is like having a reality map that points to true north. I told you about how Scott Peck, one of the eminent psychiatrists of our day, talks about all of us have a, a reality map in our minds. The closer that map is to true reality out there, the, the better life is for us because our map is accurate and we get it and, and we're able to navigate life better. God's word gives us the true reality map. The further that map gets from reality, the more difficult it is till you get way off in the edges of reality maps that are way off. That's schizophrenia or paranoia or, or, or seeing life from a whole, you know, like you're hearing voices and, and seeing life from a whole messed up angle. So what wisdom is, it's asking God to help us to see life from his perspective to get our reality map lined up because when we see it from his perspective it's true north and so we begin to see what God wants to do and one of the things that trials do is we ask for wisdom in the in the midst of it because they have this tendency to enhance our prayer life right would you agree that when tough times come it enhances your prayer life if you're a real believer why because it drives you to your knees you see, in the trial, you're either going to be driven to your knees or you're going to be standing apart. You'll either be found to stand apart or you'll be driven to your knees. And when I'm talking about wisdom, I'm not talking about just philosophical speculation or, or something like that. It's like, God, I need to know what's going on here. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to tell you this particular trial. Let me explain all this to you. But to know what's going on in his mind. My little son, my little daughter... I love you. I've cried with you in the night. I've seen every, every feeling that you feel, but I've allowed this through because I would need to grow you. I'm growing you in the midst of this. There's something going on. The real you, the new creation is activated to grow in the midst of this, and you're becoming more than you could ever dream that you are. So we see all of this. Ask God for wisdom. That's an imperative. You know, you just almost, in the midst of a trial, if you're a real believer, you almost can't be stopped from being driven to your knees and crying out to God. It's what Amos was talking about with Elijah. That story that, that he spoke out before the, the, the song that we sang. Elijah, the Bible says, was a man just like us. He had all the same issues and problems that we did. 
He lived in a day when his nation was far from God. And he read a verse in the Bible that says, when your nation's far from God, I'll withhold the rain if you ask me. And that's what he asked. And for three years and six months, there was this horrible drought. Now, it affected Elijah, Elijah a lot. Elijah had several times he had to move, and, and he ran out of water, and he ran out of food, and all of it was in answer to his own prayer. I mean, he was going through some tough times. Did you know that sometimes some of the tough times we go through are in answer to our own prayer? Have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, make me like Jesus? That's a bad, that's a bad one. You know, I, I prayed that one time, and then I said, slow down, God, slow down. You know, take longer to make me like Jesus. Because all of these, it's just like, you've seen what Jesus went through? I mean, sometimes we're saying, God, grow me. I want to be all that you want me to be as a husband. I want to be all that you want me to be as a wife. I want to be all that you want me to be as a parent. I want to be all that you want me to be in this part of my life. And God goes, okay, I'll answer that. And this trial comes in, and what do we do? What are you doing, God? Right? And then the king comes to Elijah after three years and six months. This is a stubborn king. And he says, I repent. I, I, I want to come back to God. And so Elijah goes and he begins to pray on this cliff overlooking the sea. And he tells his servant, go out and look and see what's going on. And as he prays, the servant says, nothing, 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 nothing. And the seventh time... There's a tiny little cloud out there. It's about the size of a man's hand. Not much. I don't know, Elijah. And Elijah says, literally, gird up your loins, which means pull up your robe and get ready to get going because we're going to run as fast as we can before the floods come. It's going to flood out because he knew what God was doing and the ends of the trial had come in. And there's going to be an end to your trial. There's going to be an end. And God's going to show you when. That's part of the wisdom thing, too. To know what to pray and how to pray. It says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It says that at the end of the book of James. Talking about this. So if we go to him for wisdom. In verse 5 it says if you lack wisdom ask him. What's he going to do? It says he will give generously to all without finding fault. That word generously. Haplos in the Greek. It means unconditionally without bargaining. Some of you are notorious bargainers with God, right? How many of you, you're going through this trial right now, and you're here today because you said to God, God, if you will just get me up through this trial, I swear I will go to church every Sunday in February. It's a short month, thank God. Right? I swear, God, I mean, we'll, let's make a deal. God doesn't need deals from you. He doesn't need deals. What he's saying is, I just give it to you. I love to give it to you. I want to give it to you freely, generously, without finding fault. He's, he's not going to say, you know, I, but I'm, I'm going to be on your case. Yeah, you ain't done very good, little daughter. I guess I'll give it to you. He's not doing that. He's going, I love you. I love to give wisdom to you. And that's how we endure through this dependent prayer casting ourselves on God verse 6 but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable 
in all they do. The word doubt is not what you're thinking here. You know, it's not like, because how we're all human, right? And, and when things get tough, sometimes you got to have this little nagging doubt, like, yeah, is this all real? I mean, is God really on the throne of this? I mean, I mean, does God know what he's doing? I mean, does he care? That's okay to have that. It's not that kind of doubt. Doubt here means to dispute. What it means is basically to say, God, you are not good. God, I dispute what the Bible says about you, that you care about me and that you love me. I dispute that. I stand apart from that. I don't agree with that. Now you can do that even as a believer. <clears throat> but you can't stay there as a believer. You see, we can fall on our face in the midst of trials as a believer. But we're going to get back up on our knees at some point. You just can't stay away. If you have the new creation, if you are the new creation, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that trial is going to activate something in you. If you don't have that, you'll be found to be standing apart. That's what trials are the blessing of God to say, look and see where you're at. If you find yourself standing apart, then you need to move in. And that's what I love about community of faith. It's a safe place. Some of you have received it with joy and you thought you were doing good. And then this trial comes and you find, no, I'm standing apart. Some of you, you just fallen, have fallen on your face for a few minutes or a few days or a few weeks or a few months or maybe a couple of three years. But you know that God's pulling you back. He's pulling you back. He's pulling you back. That's because you're the new creation. That's the difference. You know you can't get away from it. You're disputing God. And it says you're double-souled is what it literally means here. John Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And he, he talked about this guy in Pilgrim's Progress called, called Mr. Facing Both Ways. And that's what it means to be double-souled. It talks about in the Bible to have a single heart. Love the Lord your God with all, single, all your heart, all your soul, all your might. To, to be double-minded means that you love him with a little part of it. you got a lot of other stuff going on. And, and so you, you're unstable at that point. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that, I like this, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The sailors of old, they used to say the easiest way to come into the harbor is in a crosswind. And I didn't really understand, I'm not a sailor, some of you might sail those little sailboats around in Galveston Bay. I've I, I never been that so I was trying to understand it. But they were saying that when there's a when there's a, a headwind, it's really difficult to get into shore. And when there's a tailwind, you might just end up 10 feet on the sand. So the easiest way to come into harbor in those old days of those sailing ships was with a crosswind. Because then you could navigate it. And that's exactly what a trial is. It's a crosswind. God's saying, I, through the wisdom I can give you, you can navigate this. You can walk through this. It's not going to feel good. It's boot camp. If you were ever in the military, you know, you didn't wake up every morning and go, yay, boot camp. Right? Or whenever they woke you up in the morning, right? Yay, boot camp. It's 4.30 in the morning and this guy's yelling in my ear. I love it. George Whitfield said, all trials are for two purposes. 
that we may get better acquainted with our own wicked hearts and that we may get better acquainted with our own beloved Savior. I love that. Written 100 years ago. I want you to just close your eyes with me for a minute because I want us to kind of block everything out. Paul said this, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why we can't lose it. He started it. He began the good work in you. He made you the new creation when you stepped in. And he's going to finish you. Unless you never stepped in. So this is your moment. This is the destiny moment. The Kairos moment for you. And you get to see where you're at. This is your moment. Do you stand apart? You're in the trial. Do you stand apart? Are you on your knees going, God, I don't understand. And I have disputed with you a bit for a time. But I can't get away from this. I'm coming back. I'm coming home. Do in me what you are trying to do. I don't want to fight you anymore. I want to work with you as you grow me. I want to trust you. Give me wisdom to see your heart for me. How much you love me. I'm going to ask our prayers to come down here across the front. Those of you who have asked to come pray. Many of those in our in our congregation are going to be down here in the front to pray with you. And I've asked the band to come back out and sing that song one more time. There's a cloud. And as they sing it, I think it's going to be your destiny moment. Some of you are going through a deep trial right now. And I need you to come down and pray with one of these men or women. To pray with them that you will have wisdom. That you will see it. Maybe that you will stop disputing. That you'll get off your face and be able to get onto your knees. Whatever that trial is, I know, financial, marriage. Maybe you have a kid that's far away from God. And you've been praying for them and you don't know where they are coming. And, and let these people pray with you. There's such a power. I know you can do it right where you sit. I understand that. But we're the church. That's what church is. It's not coming and hearing one guy talk while you sit in a seat way off there somewhere. It's community together. It's walking this walk together. It's hurting together. Let them hurt with you. Let them walk with you. Maybe you just want to let the, the music roll over you. Because I'm telling you, the end of the trial will be coming. God is completing what he's wanting to do. And you can trust him. Just let that kind of spring back up in you. Maybe you just want to fall to your knees where you are. You can do that too. Just turn around and, and, and make that chair just a little bench for you that you pray. What I'm asking is that you just let God move you and be obedient. It's going to take a lot of courage to come out here in front of people and pray. But that's what we're all about. We're all in this together. Let us love on you. Let us walk with you. Stand. Amos, sing over us that prayer. And let's worship and let's pray.